AI is the hottest topic in the world. ChatGPT, the poster company of generative AI, is trending in searches every single day. And what that means for you is this. The time to embrace AI technology is now because automation helps us to do more with less while continuing to meet and exceed business expectations. It's like magic. And if you haven't tried HubSpot's new AI features, you should do that. Content Assistant and ChatSpot are two brand new tools that will immediately save you and your team's time. HubSpot's features run on ChatGPT's tech to help you make compelling content and manage your CRM way faster than before. We're talking writing ad copy, data analytics, workflow automations, all with a chat command. So work smarter, not harder, and find out more about how to use AI to grow your business at HubSpot.com slash artificial intelligence. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here, back with another episode of Side Hustle Pro. And today in the guest chair, I have an update episode with episode 167 guest, Rochelle Porter. Rochelle is the founder of Rochelle Porter Design RPD, a lifestyle brand and design house specializing in thoughtfully made home and fashion textiles. She is back with so much more wisdom and knowledge about how to run this kind of business. In today's episode, she shares how she pivoted from full-time corporate employee with a side hustle to full-time entrepreneur since she was last on the podcast in 2019. She also shares how she was able to launch home decor collections in major retailers like Nordstrom, Macy's, Wayfair, etc. And she shares her advice to fellow retail entrepreneurs on everything from printing on demand to funding your business. So let's get right into it. So Rochelle, welcome back to the guest chair. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Glad to be back. I'm very happy to have you back. You know, I went back and I listened to your original episode. One of the things we touched on at that time, you were still side hustling. Now you had a real, Mm -hmm. you had a great deal. You had a contract with a company. You had flexibility, but that contract was going to come to an end. So pick us back where we left off. How long did you side hustle after that? Um, I'm trying to think of what year that was. 2019. That we spoke in 2019. Can you believe it? Four years ago. Yes. It seems like a, just yesterday. Yep. But um, yeah, a lot has happened since then. So my contract actually ended December 31st, 2019. Mm-hmm. So 2020 was, was the year yeah. that, you know, <laughs> I was going to take this seriously. I was going to do it full time, go full throttle and, you know, then COVID happened. We know what happened. Yep. And really changed the game. Yep. So when you were going to go full time, go full throttle, what did that look like for you? Doing online sales, doing business to business sales for your um, interior design products or completely focused on customer based for your athleisure products? Um, it was mostly, at least at the time, I was looking mostly at athleisure. Okay. That was kind of what was getting the most traction. Mm-hmm. I actually even thought about like getting rid of the home stuff. Oh, really? Just nothing was happening with that. And all the attention was on the athleisure. Okay. So 
that was what I thought was going to be my ticket. But, um, you know, things don't always turn out the way we think. So what happened? What was the challenge for you? If people were home, they were still shopping. So what was the biggest challenge you had during the pandemic period? Oh, okay. So I, I should back up. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to me leaving my full-time job, nothing was happening with the home decor. Okay. Um, so I thought just, you know, going into 2020 that I would kind of put that to the wayside or get rid of it completely and focus on the athleisure. Then, you know, we know what happened in March. <laughs> um the, the entire world changed. And so people were in their houses more. Yes. So it it was like night and day. It The home decor suddenly had a resurgence mm-hmm. and it was crazy. Everyone Literally, wanted to decorate their house now because they're there all the everyone time. Everyone wanted to decorate their house. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> and also, <laughs> same. So, um, you know, we got a little bit of buzz from that. Actually, it, let me back up even more. The catalyst for that. So 2020, Everybody that did anything related to fabric, fashion design had pivoted to making masks. Masks. Because, you know, okay. the demand right, was. Right. Yeah. And at first I was like, mm, like, do I really want to do this? Because everybody's doing it. Yeah. And then it was like, wait, everybody's doing right. it. Right. Like, There's a need I need to get in this. on this. Yep. Absolutely. So it was to the point where you know, you couldn't get anything shipped. So I like we were taking fabric scraps. I was like cutting up old things, <laughs> even old pillows that weren't selling and literally <laughs> making them into masks. That's how great the demand was yeah. at the time. So um, I think one of the catalysts was we got written up in an article in Forbes with other like black owned brands who had pivoted to mask making. Okay. Like that was the whole topic of the article. And, you know, there was not even any picture of the product in the article, but just our name being mentioned brought a lot of attention to my website mm. and to the other products that we had. Yes. So that was really a turning point. It's so funny. That period of life will always just seem like a blur. Like, did that really happen? And I remember my first mask was like a Jamaican flag folded into a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It was hard times out here. Oh, my gosh. So was that enough to sustain you financially, though, your mask sales and your interior design Um, sales? Yeah, it wasn't just the masks at first. So press begets more press. So from, you know, the mass sales, we started getting more attention to other products, including the athleisure. Mm -hmm. So that caused a surge in sales of that product as well. But also what happened in 2020 was that um, Black lives started mattering Mm. to the mainstream. And um, (laughs) I remember this was, I think, right after George Floyd, like literally the day after, like I noticed my Shopify notifications going off. Like I had no idea what was happening. And then like a friend was texting me like, oh, you're in such and such blog or you're in such and such publication. I'm like, what? You know, like all these home decor publications, BuzzFeed, you know, Pop Sugar, all these places started covering me out of the blue. I've heard this refrain. Yes, I've heard this this pattern. Yes. Yes. So um, needless to say that degree of coverage was not sustainable. But at the time it was really what it took to kind of blow us up and take Mm. us to the next level and even get noticed by a retailer. So talk to us about the next level. What has that looked like? Sure. So um, (laughs) I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) Um, I feel like um, 
I've been through a couple of pivots, you know, Mm -hmm. first since just leaving my job and going full time, you know, I've really had to like reevaluate my product mix and figure out like what sells, what doesn't, what business model I should follow. But I think right now, as um, we've started working with more major retailers Mm -hmm. And I've also separated the activewear out into its own separate brand called Fit by Row. Okay. I think, I feel like I have a whole new company. I feel like I have two companies. So what did you learn about the product Mm -hmm. mix? What you should keep, what you should get rid of, and how did you get to the point where you knew you needed to separate out the athleisure? Sure. So I think, you know, 2020, 2021, people were just kind of discovering us Mm -hmm. in the mainstream because of the press coverage. And, you know, it it was cute, (laughs) you know, they, you know, people were, people loved the product and they were still, you know, I don't want to say they were feeling guilty. It was, there was still an emphasis on supporting black owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was great. Um, But as we grew, like getting into West Elm, for example, was kind of a game changer. Um, and started kind of venturing to other places in the home decor product category, adding additional products, table runners, um, now wallpaper. It just did not make sense for that and like a sports bra to exist (laughs) in the same space anymore. Same website. Yeah, it was cognitive dissonance. And it's a whole different business model. It's a different customer. Mm -hmm. It's you know, they just needed to separate. Mm. How did the West Elm partnership work? What did that look like? Sure. So that was an interesting product of the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been it's been a great partnership. So while I was working full time, I did pop up shops at West Elm. So I started with my little collection of throw pillows, uh, not because I have a great affinity towards pillows, but because it was like literally a square. (laughs) I didn't know how to produce anything. I didn't know how to manufacture a product, but I knew I could get my print onto a square. So I did that. And my collection, as it was, was like eight pillows. And I heard that... um, West Elm had pop-up shops at their local stores. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hmm, like, let me see how that works. So I went into my local West Elm, showed them my product. They liked it. And I did pop-up shops, you know, on and off for a couple of years yeah. while I was still working full time. It wasn't like wildly profitable or anything, but it was a good way to test the market and to, you know, really see how people responded to my product, what feedback they had. Yeah. So it, it was cool. And they, they let me do whatever I want in their <laughs> store for a few hours. So that was great. Um, and I just kind of maintained that relationship with the staff at these West Elm stores. And there were different um, stores throughout Atlanta. And I did one in New York as well. Okay. So I was able to you know meet people from a bunch of different stores and build those relationships. Um, then, you know, 2020 came about. And I don't know if you're familiar with the 15% pledge. I've heard about it, but the actual meat of it escapes me at the moment. So explain it. Sure. So it was started by the designer Aurora James. And, you know, while the whole George Floyd murder happened, like big brands were asking, you know, what can we do? How can we support black owned businesses? And she was like, well, here's what you can do. Since black people comprise roughly 15 percent of the population, our products should be 15 percent of what's on your shelves. Mm. So um, a few large retailers took the pledge. West Elm was one of the first ones. 
And being that I already had this relationship that I had established with them over a few years, it was just kind of a seamless transition for my products as they evolved to be on westelm.com. What did that require of you to fulfill orders on westelm.com? Oh, girl. Um, Fortunately, it was a drop ship relationship. So I didn't have to like, you know, ship them a bunch of inventory. We were still in the pandemic too. So that may not have even been possible at the time, but, um, you know, it was a great, uh, just legitimizer for our business. Like, even though it was the same products I had been making, you know, (laughs) that had been on my site for a couple of years, the fact that it's associated with West Elm. And you can get it on their website. That's amazing. How did you find a dropshipper that could deliver the quality? It's one thing when you create it, but how do you make Mm -hmm. sure that the quality is the same for the customers who order it? Sure. So initially the dropshipper was me. Ah! (laughs) My family, everybody in my house. So now now we get into the real. uh, Yes. (laughs) So that was (laughs) not only because, you know, just financially at the time, Mm -hmm. it's what worked. It's just, again, in the pandemic, mm. it's just hard to get out there and do business as usual. Um, eventually, I started working with the manufacturers that I worked with were local mm-hmm. and they were able to drop ship. That was part of the services that they ah. offered as well. So that made it a lot easier. OK, but when you were doing it, were you literally receiving mm-hmm. orders to your email and fulfilling them? Yeah. Wow. That absolutely. You yep. gotta do what you gotta Putting do. Them in the little bag. Put it in the work. Printing Put- out the receipt. Yes. Sending it off. <laughs> the packing slips. Everything. All right. And is that partnership still going right now? It is. So would you say that's like the a big part of your revenue stream right now, or is what you're doing with expanding to wallpaper and then of course the athleisure mm-hmm. division also a really important mix? Um, I would say in the first year or two of the West Elm partnership, it was probably like 30 or 40% of our revenue. Um, That's kind of tapered off as the years have gone by. And as there has been um, less emphasis on programs Mm -hmm. for minority owned brands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could say a lot about that, but I won't. Um, But you know, expanding to other retailers is definitely a big driver of revenue. Wallpaper is very new, but um, the few engagements, the few sales that we've had have been, you know, just a larger volume and a much better margin than any of the commercial products that we have. What made you decide to expand into one more product space? Girl, I mean, my philosophy has always been, if it can have a print on it, I'm going to put it on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, and that that was the goal from the beginning. Yeah. It's just a matter of what makes sense to do when, um, because I'm not a, I'm not a home decor designer. I'm not a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I am a, an artist. I'm a surface pattern designer, as they call it. And I feel like my work and my aesthetic is, has a versatility to go on any type of product and the ultimate goal is to, you know, just create a lifestyle moment, a lifestyle to be a full lifestyle brand. I love yeah. that. And what I love about, you know, you and catching up with you is just looking back at where you've come from. When we talked in 2019, we talked about the importance of just understanding what you need at different moments in this entrepreneurship journey. Mm-hmm. And 
at the time you were very aware that there are times when I need to get a job, but it has to be a specific mm-hmm. type of job, right? You can't get this job that's expecting you to stay there for 20 years because, you, you know, you had an opportunity to do right. a role like that. But you need you understand when it's time to get a capital infusion because you fund your business, Mm -hmm. you fund it yourself. Absolutely. Um, Have you had thoughts of that since leaving this last time? (sighs) I'm like, when do I not have thoughts of that? Me too. I'm like, what could I do? It's easy. Sometimes I'm like, (laughs) girl. So I mean, we definitely want the capital. We need the capital to scale. Mm into this, you know, lifestyle behemoth (laughs) that I hope to be. But, um, you know, I've bootstrapped from day one. Yes. And that has worked up to this point. But in order to scale where I need to be, it's just not sustainable. Mm. And, you know, at a certain point, you run out of your own money. Yep. And also the people who really succeed in this field that I know of, they use other people's money. So um, we're definitely looking into right now as non-dilutive as possible. Right, right, right. Means of getting capital. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a few grants. You know, we won some pitch competitions, so that you know was a little bit of capital infusion. But to get where I need to be, um, we need to seriously start thinking about like strategic partners mm-hmm. and investors. And. Where do you need to be? Where do you see yourself and, and what do you see yourself needing more cash for? So hiring is like number one right, right. now. I mean, I work, I'm the only full-time employee still. Okay. I have a team of about four contractors that I work with regularly and they do everything from production to sampling to my publicist, to my virtual assistant. And that's all well and good. But in order for me to really like, do this CEO thing for real and not just be a founder slash CEO and to really focus on the strategic vision and the mission of my business. um, I'm going to need somebody else to put out fires here and there or to do other high level tasks that I find myself doing. In order to grow your business and have Mm -hmm. actual full-time employees, you definitely need more money. I'm glad you bring that up because it's a scary Mm -hmm. and huge transition in business as an entrepreneur to go from Mm -hmm. solopreneur working with contractors to I'm going to hire someone full time because that is yeah. that is a commitment. Like every week or every two weeks when I run payroll, you're going to get paid benefits. There's going to be some benefits there. There's there's some incentive for you to want to work for me. Who I too am not there yet. So <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know you're preaching yeah. to the choir here. We're we're working it out, guys. As as we work it out, we'll share more with you that you're pursuing. What are some ways that you are um, exploring that, and you know what are you finding is available to entrepreneurs like yourself? Um, sure. Uh, there's very little <laughs> available if you're a non-tech company, especially. Um, it's there's not a whole lot there. I've been in 5011 programs, mm-hmm. accelerators, incubators. Some have been more valuable than others. Yeah. Some come with a check and others don't. But um, I have found, uh, I, won't, I won't name it, mm-hmm. but there is a particular um, funding source yeah. that's associated with one of the retailers that we're working okay. with um, that is really not just, you know, 
amenable mm-hmm. to a business like mine, but it's strategic. Mm. Like I'm working with somebody who is like a retail giant okay. who knows my business, who knows what we need. Okay. So that's the one that we're pursuing right oh, now. Oh, okay. And you can't yeah. say that for business reasons, for legal reasons? Yes. Okay, okay. N- yeah. Not yet. Okay, all right, all right. But I mean that you might be able to figure out. I know, but based on your partners, <laughs> yeah. we'll, that later, we'll, we'll separate yes. out that question though. So it's not too sure. <laughs> but um, thank you for sharing that though. And the real challenges that you are facing, but mm-hmm. even still with all these challenges, you are pursuing new surfaces to put your prints on. So I understand you have mm-hmm. betting launching as well this year, right? So what went into that decision? So we are working with a manufacturer slash licensee, which was um, a huge part of how we were able to scale into mass retail. Okay. So we're currently in, um, we're in store at Home Goods, and we're online at Macy's, Nordstrom, Amazon, Love Wayfair, and a it. few others. So um, that definitely changed the game. Mm-hmm. Licensing was the avenue that we chose for that because, mm-hmm. A, it just allows us to scale very quickly. Um, It allows us to create a great quality product. So the company that we work with also works with like Tommy Hilfiger Mm -hmm. and Martha Stewart. So they know what they're doing. Martha Stewart, they have manufacturing. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, if you could do it for Martha, you could do it for me. me. Absorb a little bit of that. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, they have manufacturing facilities all over the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the beach towels are made in El Salvador, it's because El Salvador is the best place to make okay. beach towels. If the um, throws are made in Pakistan, it's because they have that expertise. So I'm really able to leverage that without some huge initial capital investment mm. to the licensing yeah. model. What does that actually mean, though, the licensing model when it comes to retail sure. and what you do? So in my particular case, and it varies, mm-hmm. you know, by company or just by the arrangement you have with a particular company. Um, so my company has longstanding relationships with all those retailers I mentioned, yes. like Macy's, Nordstrom, what have you. And they're also kind of a giant in bedding okay. and home decor in general. So what they do is they really take all the risk up front. So they, you know, I design the product, we work on product development, you know, pick out the fabrics, the colors, so to speak. And um, then, you know, it gets manufactured. And then they pitch me at all these um, markets, these trade specific markets around the country. And, you know, Macy's will decide that they want to bite you know, home goods will decide that they want to order yep. X amount of units of this product and um, it gets manufactured and stocked in the stores. Um, I get paid quarterly via a royalty arrangement. Okay. So because it's, you know, I didn't put a lot up, up front, um, I get a percentage uh-huh. of the total revenue. But a good percentage, right? <laughs> a solid percentage. A, a decent enough percentage. Yeah given that it's, you know, they're able to put it in multiple doors Mm -hmm. and multiple websites. Yes. And you can rely on that quarterly payment being on time. Yes. Good. You you don't always know how much it is, but you can definitely rely on it. Oh, that's interesting. So there's no like back end system that kind of shows, because yeah, I know sales 
are tricky. And this is why retail sometimes intimidates me. You have returns, you have yeah. all this other, you have these moving sure. parts. That's good to know. And if someone else is trying to get into places like Nordstrom and West Elm, and it's a different time now, right? Now everyone's taking the 15% mm-hmm. pledge anymore. Uh, <laughs> where, where can they begin? Um, there are a few ways to begin with the licensing that was just through relationships that I had with people in the retail industry. Mm-hmm. So obviously relationships are number one, they're paramount to yeah. anything I've been able to do successfully in my business. But um, there are a number of ways to get into major retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely have to have your product assortment like down pat. Mm-hmm. You have to know who the retailer is. Yep. You have to know who their customer is. Yeah. You have to back to front. Um, you have to have know your numbers mm-hmm. as well and be able to project. Um, I think someone told me, like, if you want to sell on Macy's.com, for example, yeah. they look for businesses that can generate minimum like 2K a month Okay, on their website. That's, it? That's just for Macy's. Okay. I mean, it's like the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. You need to consistently generate that. Mm-hmm. And of course, it varies by product. Too. Right. 2K a month for a pillow right. may not be, you know, that much. Right. But, you know, if you're selling a product that costs $10, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So there's a licensing model. There's going to trade shows, you know, getting to know the actual retailers. Making relationships. Absolutely. There are also several programs, like one that I just completed. It's called the Workshop at Macy's. Yeah which I would highly recommend applying to anybody who's in retail. You might not get in the first time. Most people apply two or three times to get into it, but they call it like the Harvard of retail. That that may be putting a a little too much (laughs) on it, but it's at least it's ground. Yeah. No, you know, this is good. This is the first time I'm hearing about a Macy's program. Usually I hear about like the Target, Target or whatever, but yeah. So tell us more. Absolutely. So I think the difference with this program and all those other programs is that this has been around since I don't want to misquote 2011. Okay. All these other programs cropped up in 2020 okay. as a reaction yeah. or a response. So um, they've been invested in working with minority mm-hmm. and women-owned businesses for years. Mm-hmm. So um, it's the you know best established program, I think, and they give you real like tangible information that you can use. And it's also, there's no guarantee, but it's a roadmap to getting into Macy's and other retailers. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing all those tips that people can use if they want to get their retail brand into retailers. CEO School, hosted by Sonera Madani, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. CEO School is committed to closing the gap and helping more women level up by sharing stories and strategies from powerful women in leadership. Because as Sonera likes to say, nothing bad happens when women make more money. I was recently checking out her episode, The Big Pitch. And in this episode, Sonera teaches the ins and outs of a professional consultant and attention-grabbing PR pitch. So you get to learn the power of third-party validation through earned media as Sonera shares insider tips on making your brand shine and how to establish yourself as a thought leader by harnessing the incredible influence of publishing your own content. So listen to CEO School wherever you get your podcasts. 
what about tips for if you are still doing your own e-commerce sales as well? Obviously, you you built this website. You want that to be successful Mm -hmm. as well. How are you making sure that that thrives? Great question. So that's even something that I'm pivoting on as Mm -hmm. we speak. So, you know, the products in our latest collection are sold online and in store at all these other retailers. Latest collection meaning the wallpaper or the... No, the... the the throw pillows, throw pillows and okay. um, throws and beach towels that I came out Got with it. this spring are in the Nordstrom and the Macy's okay. and Home Goods right now. Um, this was my first time, you know, collaborating with my current manufacturer to do a collection like this, um, and I'm now having to think about. Do I want to stock these products on my website as well? Because I currently don't like you can't go to RochellePorter.com and get those items. Mm. You can get our legacy products mm-hmm. on there. Or is that going to be cannibalizing what I already have? So it's it's always a cost right. benefit analysis with that. And do these programs yeah. that you've been a part of give you any advice on that? Like once you get into retail, how do you manage that on your own website? Um, I personally haven't gotten advice on that specific mm-hmm. um, topic. I'm sure it's available in the programs, but honestly, I think it's a, it's a case by case, case basis. Line, product, but, line um, line. <laughs> yes, product line by product line. Yes, product line by product line. Because, you know, we, we got a lot going on right. and a lot of different means of production mm-hmm. for every product. I think about so many things as you're speaking. So I think about the fact that uh, so for a lot of people, when they're starting out, there's an intimidation factor. Like, I'm not ready for retail. I'm not ready for retail. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like for yeah. you, you kind of jumped into it. You said, okay, the opportunity has presented itself. I'll make myself ready. Yeah. So what would be your advice for people who don't feel ready? Should they still pursue it and they'll rise to the occasion? Or what? Or, or knowing what you know now, are there things that you would suggest they get into place before they pursue retail? Well, the retails retailers will let you know if you're not ready. <laughs> so you, you don't you have don't to worry about like... that. <laughs> that is should not be your concern whatsoever. Okay. But um, yeah, do everything you can mm-hmm. now to you know boost your sales as much as possible. Okay. Um, I would say even like press has has been a great um, catalyst for me okay. to you know, get the attention of retailers. Um, just as much as you can do to create buzz on your own for your products, mm-hmm. do that. And when you say, and yeah. that will even eclipse sales okay. sometimes. And what about the audience factor, the community factor, your email list factor? How mm-hmm. has that driven traffic to the retailers and helped you perform well when you enter into these partnerships? Sure. I mean, our, our audience is everything. Seriously, um, establish that relationship early. Keep in touch with them often. Um, I have, I don't have a specific VIP program Mm -hmm. per se, but like they know who they are. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, these are the people who, you know, while I'm not super accessible to everybody, like they, they've emailed me specifically about products or you know, like, hey, have you tried this? Every time I do a survey or a focus group, mm-hmm. they're the people that I contact. So, Got it. yeah, your audience, everything. So start building it early and just maintain that relationship. Right. How do you do your focus groups? Mm. 
we pick, and of course, it varies product to product, mm-hmm. but um, I'm able to see just from, you know, like our Shopify sales, for example, right. who bought what, who's the repeat customer that's buying every new product that comes out. Um, that's the person we target yeah. because we want to 10x, mm-hmm. 100x that person. So, um, you know, we just, I have advisors that I work with for marketing specifically mm-hmm. in market research. And we just ask very specific pointed questions of those people and actually make changes okay. based on that. So you send a survey to yeah. those people or just email them? Sometimes it's a survey. Sometimes it's a phone conversation. Oh. You know, they've become sort of like my customer advisory board. Nice. So these are people that I talk to quarterly okay. for like maybe 30 minutes or so. And, you know, maybe like I'll give them an incentive, mm-hmm. like a coupon mm-hmm. or something for participating. But honestly, they would do it for free because oh. they're true fans of the brand. I love this high touch approach. really want to see us succeed. This was very, very yeah. informative. I love this high touch approach. Yeah. How sustainable that <laughs> is as we grow. Well, it's helpful. Wow. Uh, yeah. We'll see. So a lot of people, as you know, lose money as they take on these new retail partnerships, as they grow, as they Mm. get inventory, as they launch new brand lines, all of that. What has been your experience profit wise, breaking even? Are you profitable, breaking even or um, still getting there? (laughs) Sure. So while I would say there's things I definitely regret spending money on. We have been profitable since the beginning. It, you know, hasn't always been a huge profit, mm-hmm. but we have been profitable. And that's because at least up to this point, I've done things in a fairly low risk way. Okay. So um, with the active wear, for example, it's print on demand. So that's immediately profitable. Okay. Once a customer makes a payment, part of that payment goes to the production of the product mm-hmm. and the rest of it goes back into the business. Okay. So you know, uh, without me having to really expend anything okay. to get the product made. So, I mean, that initially was just because, you know, I just didn't have the capital. Mm-hmm. But going forward, you know, we are a sustainable company. Um, you know, we prioritize ethical production. Mm-hmm. We want to reduce waste. So I don't want to create a bunch of stuff that, you know, that I'm going to be sitting on dead inventory yep. or it's going to be rotting in a warehouse or polluting the environment mm-hmm. in a landfill. So it's, that was a twofold benefit of the print on demand model. But again, very low risk. We're able to pivot. If a print doesn't work, we can get rid of it. If we want to introduce a new print, I can do that tomorrow okay. without having to you know stage a huge campaign. Got it. So there's that. Um, initially with the home decor, I produced in small batches. Mm-hmm. That's because I only had small batch money <laughs> at the time. Um, and I also used local factories because the community is also a, a huge part of our brand ethos. So in Atlanta, we have a large um, refugee and asylee community. And um, I worked with an organization that actually you know, trains these women and gives them job skills, okay. particularly in sewing. Okay. And once they graduate, they're able to work for commercial companies. So not only were they able to do a great job in creating the products, and they were really very low minimums to work with that factory. You know, you also create opportunities for people in the community. So that was a win-win and also very low risk. And now with the licensing model, for our latest collection of home decor. Um, again, they 
are taking the risk on me by, you know, putting so much into the production and marketing of the product up front. Um, so that's what's worked for me so far in remaining profitable. Um, going forward, we will probably have to take on a lot more risk to really grow and scale to where we want to be. Okay. What do you regret spending money on? <laughs> Ooh, girl. Um, it's mostly um, advertising and digital marketing related. Ooh. So. Yes. So I worked and I know digital marketing is, you know, a beast in and of itself mm -hmm. and it involves a lot of experimentation. And I know that up front, but there's a thin line between experimenting and you just wasting my life. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, we worked with a lot of firms that just didn't get our brand like this one particular agency that I worked with. Um, they were suggesting specifically for activewear, mm -hmm. like that I have like a perpetual sale and I put all these like widgets on my website and, you know, all these you know, right. pop-ups. Pop and I'm like, that's not what we do. And he was like, well, you know, Fashion Nova does that <laughs> and they get sales. I'm like, the fact that you mentioned me and Fashion Nova in the same sentence. You don't get it. Yeah, you don't get it. So there was that. Um, I've hired copywriters that came highly recommended, mm -hmm. whose subjects and verbs didn't agree. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, it, it's a learning lesson. It's a learning curve. <laughs> so, it's a learning curve for sure. Yes. And marketing, yeah. it's one of those things. Everybody is so overwhelmed by it. They tend to hire out for it quickly. But then there are a lot of people out yes. here just doing any, mm -hmm. they're just doing anything. <laughs> Yeah. And I think my mistake was thinking I could just like throw money yeah. at it and, you know, it would magically come together. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, when you're establishing a brand, yeah. like you're in it, you're in even it. though I'm not the one make, creating every ad, mm -hmm. like I'm, you know, a vital part of the content yes. creation and just the heart and the ethos of the brand to the public. Right. So what's working for you marketing wise nowadays? Um, so, you know, we, we do the typical, you know, social marketing, digital marketing, email outreach. Ironically, LinkedIn is our most engaged really? social channel. Interesting. I don't get it. I guess that I don't it's going to depend what it. kind of stories you tell on LinkedIn, like what kind of posts that you have there. That's true. I just, you know, everybody assumes, myself included, mm -hmm. that as a visual brand, you know, Instagram or Pinterest. No, like LinkedIn is where we get the most attention and, you know, even gotten sales and relationships off of LinkedIn. So I like, you know, if it ain't broke, Don't <laughs> I'm going to yes. keep using it. But through our license, we have the benefit of actually um, leveraging their kind of marketing prowess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're able to do like giveaways and get reviews right. that are able to be um, kind of circulated throughout all the platforms. Mm -hmm. So if somebody reviews us on Nordstrom, it also appears on Macy's and Wayfair, right. for example. Right. So um, that's been a huge help in marketing. And um, also press has been huge for us. And press is usually considered PR, but honestly being on the, you know, 10 best pairs of leggings list on BuzzFeed or Oprah Daily has really been a 
big generator of sales. I can imagine. I mean, yeah, that's like, that's vouching, that's validation. You're mm-hmm. getting a stamp of approval there. And I like that you bring up, yeah. you can't just do what big brands are doing when you're starting out as even a medium-sized yeah. brand. You can't just say, oh, Fashion Nova does this. Like Fashion Nova has a lot of money. They, they, they're doing a yes. lot. Okay. Um, and also those coupons, if you just say, oh, I'll just give a coupon, like you have to know how to do financial projections, like giving everyone a discount, right. you have to actually do the calculations of what that looks like with the final sales yeah. and then the margins because that affects how much you profit. So mm-hmm. it looks nice and it's great that, oh, people see the coupon, they're they're coming in, they're, right. they're taking the sale, but are you making enough money when you do that? Exactly. All yeah. things to consider. <laughs> now, yes. I love that you talked about the, um, the, the drop shipping and before mm-hmm. we jump into the lightning round, I just want some final tips. You have been very successful with print on demand. And I'm curious what advice and tips that you have for people who want to have such a high quality brand like yours, like Fit by Row, for example, and make sure that that quality is maintained. Sure. Um, for one thing, I would say make sure the product that you're using is high quality. Okay. So, you know, I've worked with print on demand companies that can make anything from art prints to, you know, the top I'm wearing now Mm -hmm. to leggings, to phone cases, what have you. Um, Not every product that they make is high quality. Definitely order samples. Definitely um, just really look carefully at the product. Maybe try different companies Mm -hmm. to see who has the best product Mm -hmm. in that particular product category. Um, you can't sell everything. There are some designers out there who, as long as they can put a print (laughs) on a product, they'll sell it. I I can't do that. If I can't wear it, if I won't wear it, I'm not going to sell it. Right. Right. So there's that. Um, also just make sure the margins make Mm -hmm. sense. You know, because there's the base price that the print-on-demand manufacturer will charge you, and then there's your markup. Make sure your markup is enough to, you know, take care of you, but also not so ridiculously high that a customer won't pay. Yeah. So you just really have to find that sweet spot. Absolutely. Price-wise. Absolutely. All right, so now we're going to jump into the lightning round, an updated lightning round with Rochelle. I'm curious to know what you have to share this time. You know the deal. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Sure. All right. So what is a top resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Mm, I would say, and this is very recent for me, um, certification, like getting certified as a woman-owned business, a minority-owned business, or municipal business. Um, this will open doors for you. It'll give you access to being on supplier lists, mm-hmm. partnering with larger entities that may want to have you as a subcontractor. Okay. That's where you really scale and access like the big money. Yes. And how do you begin with that? You go to the minority owned business website. Yes, you can go to MBW. I think for minorities, like, yeah. it's I'll make sure to link that you guys. I- Yes, yeah, please I just do. want to make sure I you guys all know the um, where to get started. So we'll make sure to link that for you. There's so many acronyms. <laughs> yes, That's why I get um, you track. But definitely yes. 
We bank for women-owned businesses, mm-hmm. and I think the MSDC right. for minority-owned right. businesses are the yeah. two big ones. And not to extend the lightning round, but I'm glad you bring this up. So what that does is when people are looking to work with a minority-owned business, they go to the directory. They know you're listed there. Yes. So now you're being discovered more. Mm-hmm. So that's that's opening doors for you with uh, corporations and entities and things like that. All right, back to lightning right. round. Number two. Who is a non-celebrity Black woman entrepreneur who you would want to switch places with for a day and why? Justina Blakeney of The Jungalo is probably, while there's no model of the business that I'm creating, mm-hmm. she's probably the closest yes, thing yes. to, you know, what I want to look like mm-hmm. within a year, two, three. So I love the way that she has been able to, over her very long career, probably like 20 plus years, to partner with these really large brands while still maintaining her very unique aesthetic and seemingly her values. Yes, yes. So love that. Um, number three, yeah. what is a non-negotiable part of your day these days? Um, silence. <laughs> um, I need to be able to sit for like the first 15 to 30 yes. minutes of the day and just like not talk to nobody, mm-hmm. <laughs> just be <laughs> with your my sounds. own thoughts. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, as a creative person, I have a lot of ideas mm-hmm. and sometimes that sometimes you're scattered. Yep. So if I'm not able to sit there and just like streamline my own thoughts mm-hmm. for a minute, like my whole day could be shot. So I hear you. That's critical. Number four, what is a personal trait that has helped you significantly in business? Following up, mm. sending a note, you know, if you meet somebody at an event, you know, you know, we send that LinkedIn request and we never hear from them. <laughs> like, follow, follow, follow us, through, you know, touch base, follow through, send, send a card, send a note. Yeah. Um, some of the best and biggest opportunities that I've had that I'm currently have mm-hmm. are because I maintained a relationship mm. with somebody. Love that reminder. It's taking years to realize, but we all need that reminder, including me. (laughs) Sometimes I hate talking to people, believe it or not. (laughs) Yes. Oh, no, I don't know what to say. All right. right. Email. Email, right? Okay. Finally, number five. What is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to start their own thing, be their own boss, Mm. but are worried about losing the steady paycheck? I don't know what my answer was last time. It was probably something very like boo-boo. It doesn't matter. We, we, talk, we, we need to hear where but, you are now. Mentally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This time, just real practically, yeah. um, stack your money, stack your money, stack your money. Mm-hmm. Um, get out of debt if you can. And even when you are ready to make that transition, if there's something you can do even on a part-time basis, or there's another stream that you can create outside of the business that you're creating, do that mm-hmm. because you don't want to put the pressure on your new fledgling business yeah. to be wildly successful yeah. in the beginning. And you want to give yourself that cushion and that room to like experiment and make mistakes without a huge financial consequence. Yes. I love it. Talk about it. All right, Rochelle, where can people connect with you and your brand after this episode? You can find me on RochellePorter.com and on all socials. I'm RoPorterDesign. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you learned a lot. All my retail folks, I hope you learned a lot from this episode. You now have a guide that you can go hit up (laughs) to learn even more. And I will talk to you guys next week.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.